the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I don't usually begin with a guest, but he's very special, and he's in from very far away. Well, everything is relative. He's in from Quebec, correct? Montreal, Quebec. From Montreal. Et c'est pour ça que nous parlons en français. Seulement en français. Seulement. He is Godsad. He has a very famous uh, podcast of his own. He is a well-known thinker. He is a a man who marches to the beat of his own drummer, which is why I, I'm so happy to have him in studio. Have we ever met in person? No, only remotely. Well, it just shows, I hate to say this because in person, it, there's no comparison to being with a human being live. But I do feel like I know you because we've, I've been on your program, you've been on mine. It, it is interesting. Amazing. When people say to me, I met you, and I say, really? Yeah, yeah, I called your show. <laughs> no, but but it's, it, there's some truth to it. Right. And there's no question. Anyway, Godsad, G-A-D is his first name. S-A-A-D is his uh, family name or last name, Godsad, and I'll... You'll explain your name. I think people should should understand sure. the background. He has a book on my uh, favorite subject, happiness. And I want to make something clear. A lot of people write books on happiness, and I'm happy they do because I want people to be happier. But I don't have most of them on. It shows you what I think of God's sod that I am, the sod truth or sad truth about happiness. It really is it, it is analogous to the title of my book, Happiness is a Serious Problem. <laughs> That's right. So we both have this understanding. Life, there, there life is a challenge. There you go. The Sad Truth, S-A-A-D, Truth About Happiness, Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life. So what is your name? So God is uh, a Hebrew name. Uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel is God. So, and a lot of uh, people from the Middle East think that it's an Egyptianized version of Jad, because the Je sound becomes G in Egyptian Arabic. It right. isn't God. I know that. I, right. I, Gumhuria and Jumhuria. Exactly. So, uh, it's, God is a Hebrew name. Sa'ad, with the guttural Ayin, uh, actually in Arabic means, interestingly, for someone who's writing a book about happiness, it means happy and Felicity. Your name means happy. Yeah, f- happy and felicity, and you know, yeah, no, pros- yeah, prosperity, cheerful. Yeah, yeah che- exactly. And so I was predestined to write this book, Dennis. You, yes, it would be very sad if Saad <laughs> had written the sad book. Yes. There you go. So, if you were to assess, and I know it's a guess, but but 
It's an intelligent guess on your part. Right now in in North America, because I assume you follow America avidly, because you have to. Unfortunately, we're the uh, we're, we're the civil war for Western civilization is taking place. This is ground zero. Canada is is troubled as well. Would you say that the average American today is happier, the same happiness level, or less happier than 50 years ago? So for men, the the results are reasonably good, either the same or a bit on the uptake. For women, and I discussed this in the book, uh, it's gone precipitously down. And I argue, I mean speculatively, but I think it's a pretty good argument, that radical feminism is partly to blame for that because it has it has told women, look, you can do exactly all that men do. You should do all that men do. Uh, and not surprisingly, it turns out that men and women are not the same on all attributes. Having meaningless one-night stands is not necessarily the pathway to happiness for women. And so for, I think, largely that reason, but a few others, women have seen a drop in their... And I'm talking now in, in the United States. So men, happiness scores are okay. Women have gone down over the last 30, 40 years. So with re- uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you're right about women. So with regard to men, I, I am told, and I'll ask my producer, Alan, to correct me. He may know the precise number. I think there are 7 or 8 million males in the United States who are perfectly healthy and are not working. But uh, if if the stereotype is accurate, they're they're somewhere playing video games and watching porn and uh, having drugs. That's a big number. Yeah, and and by the way, I I published a paper many years ago in a medical journal on the relationship between uh, suicide and economic conditions, and not surprisingly, around the world. Uh, predictors of suicide is much more likely when men are unemployed. So while I understand you're asking about happiness, not suicide, it's not a pathway to being happy if you're unemployed, lazy, living in the basement, playing video games. And why are they doing that? I mean, it's hard to to predict why. Some of them have given up. Uh, Some of them are lazy. Some of them think that there's no personal agency. Uh, So, for example, one of the reasons why uh, Jordan Peterson's message is so uh, attractive to many men is because he says, get off the couch, right? Which, you know, philosophers have only been saying for thousands of years. It's nothing new. But for some people, uh, the idea that uh, I don't have personal agency is ingrained within them. And uh, that's a real shame. What does personal agency mean? I can control uh, what happens in my life. So uh, if you talk about a psychometric scale, that's the internal versus external locus of control. People who have internal locus of control. I did well on the exam because I studied and I'm smart. Whereas external locus of control would be I did poorly on the exam because the professor is unfair. He's a bastard. And so... Most people tend to attribute successes internally and failures externally. The only ones, by the way, who don't do that are clinically depressed people. That's a big one. The, uh, the book is The Sad, S-A-A-D, Truth, about happiness. I have a chapter in my book on happiness, and I'm only mentioning this, and I want to sell your book right now. <laughs> I, I want you to understand that. Uh, but I have a chapter on victimhood. Hmm. Which is what you're speaking about. Yeah. You, your term is agency. Yeah. So if you think you're a victim of life, 
you don't have agency. Exactly. Okay. So, and, and I talk about this, by the way, Dennis, in my previous book, in the Parasitic Mind, where I talk about the difference between an ethos of victimology versus an ethos, a meritocratic ethos. Right. I come from Lebanon. We're Lebanese Jews. We escaped the brutality of the Lebanese Civil War. So, if anybody has a true victimology story, it would be. Uh, my my family and I, and yet I don't wallow in that victimology. It's part of my background. It's a regrettable part of my background, but I defined my success in life and the fact that I've overcome that those childhood difficulties rather than wallowing in it endlessly. So when people are wallowing over things that happened 300 years ago to people that have nothing to do with them, that's probably not a good pathway to leading a good life. I think you'll you'll love this. A what. One of the calls I remember, obviously I can't remember most, tens of thousands of calls in 40 years, but one I remember, a Jewish woman from Brooklyn, New York called me, or Philadelphia, one of the two, I don't remember, as a Northeast, and she said, Dennis, I just want you to know I have two parents. One uh, is a Holocaust survivor, suffered horrifically, lost, uh, murdered members of, of the family, and the other one is American-born, grew up, grew up in, a, in a middle-class home. And uh, the, uh, the, the unhappy parent is the one born in America, <laughs> and the happy parent is the one who went through the Holocaust. How do you explain that? So Seneca, the famous Stoic, has a wonderful quote, which I use as an epigraph of one of my chapters, where he says that, uh, strong trees that have deep roots are precisely those that have been exposed to wind stressors. The, the trees that have not been exposed to any w- wind stressors become very brittle. And so the fact that I've gone through the Lebanese Civil War actually allows me con- to contextualize anything that I might be whining about in, on a day-to-day basis, right? Because I know what I came out of, and therefore I'm existentially happy. It's a miracle that I'm here talking to Dennis Prager. And so, paradoxically, going through some of the harrowing things like the Holocaust or like I went through the Lebanese Civil War doesn't cause me to be sad. It makes me actually incredibly happy. And so fortunate. I'm going to ask you a question I have posed, I don't, and I don't know what your answer will be. But I have posed this, and when people hear the question, they think it's a bit weird. And I have asked, how advantageous is it to adult happiness to have had a happy childhood? Well, I mean, you don't want to have been, you know, tortured well, you, and, and right. raped and Clearly. so on. Right. But, but, you know, the old expression, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, squeaky doors don't break. All of these adages and maxims exist precisely because they've stood the test of time. So if you've had a perfectly, you know, uh, you know, chocolate syrupy life, maybe that hasn't prepared you for some of the downstream challenges you'll face in your life. So I I, I can't speak to a specific study, but my intuition, certainly my personal experience is that I've taken a lot of benefit from the horrors that I went through. What you have is antibodies. Exactly right. And by by the way, there is... Hold on, hold on. I want to push the book. Sure. The the Sad Truth to Happiness, S-A-A-D, up at DennisPrager.com. This summer, you could certainly spend thousands of dollars on planes, hotels, and tourist locations. Or 
You can spend less money on a beautiful garden that will give you years of pleasure with FastGrowingTrees.com. FastGrowingTrees.com has thousands of easy-to-grow plant, shrub, and tree varieties expertly curated for your unique climate and needs. From Meyer lemons to evergreens to shade trees and everything in between. Don't have to wait in long lines. Your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. No green thumb, no problem. Fast-growing trees experts are just a Zoom chat or phone call away. My wife is the green thumb of the house. She loves FastGrowingTrees.com. We endorse this enthusiastically. Join almost 2 million happy fast-growing tree customers. Go to FastGrowingTrees.com slash Prager to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash Prager. My guest has written a book on happiness. And whenever I've been with him on his podcast, what's the name of your podcast? The Sad Truth. S-A-A-D. The Sad Truth. Whenever I've been on yours or you've been on mine, I've realized how much we have in common. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear from very different backgrounds, one might add, but it doesn't matter. It, it, I've come to realize that there is no predicting. Humans are humans. Indeed. Sad Truth About Happiness, Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life. Let me talk to you for a moment about Canada. <laughs> Given what I know of your views... As he chuckles. I chuckle. It, it is the chuckle of misery <laughs> and co-misery. Mm. Uh, and, and you're in Montreal. I, 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 Mont- look, Canada has gone woke, and Montreal is is the epicenter, I guess, with Toronto. I, I, they, uh, which is more woke? It's, it's tough to predict because there's, there's a bit of the Quebec nationalist identity that kind of serves as an inoculation against some of the woke ideas. Uh, but on many other dimensions, Quebec probably leads the, the woke train. Uh, Would, if a vote were taken in your province, should a biological men be allowed to compete in women's sports? How would the vote go? I mean, I can't give the exact number. I would think that most people would say no, that it's not a good idea. But certainly within the university ecosystems, uh, it might be a bit higher. And certainly I work at a rather woke university. Are, are you isolated at your university? Yeah, in the sense that they never uh, celebrate my accolades. So we've come to an entente where they basically leave me alone, but they'll never uplift me. So I could win the Nobel Prize tomorrow, and no one at my university will ever announce it. Do you have friends there? I do. I mean, I I don't have... I have probably one very close uh, colleague who's in the psychology department. Uh, I'm very cordial with everybody else. I don't have any you know, direct, clear enemies, at least that have identified themselves as such. Uh, But I live a very kind of fractured life. I do my job as a professor, then I go home to the solace of my loving family. Wow. So I want people to understand, it's not like this man who has written a book on happiness uh, has either grown up (laughs) in an epicenter of happiness or located in one now. That's right. And yet, I'm internally happy. Now, <laughs> part of that comes from the fact that, you know, there are about 50% of our differences in happiness scores come from our genes. Some of us are born with sunny dispositions. Others are born with more sullen Isn't disposition. that depressing? No, because that still leaves 50% up for grabs. That's very good. 
you've helped me with that. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. No, sir. no, I, 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 my listeners know I'm. I, I don't say these things to make a guest feel good. This, that's a very good way of looking at exactly. it. Exactly. I looked at it as the glass half empty. Precisely. So if fifty percent is your genes, my dear listener, that means fifty percent is you. Exactly. Very so interesting. So the types of choices you make. The Does t- anybody have a 50% happy gene and end up unhappy? Of course, because they make poor choices because they have right. bad mindsets. So it's mindsets. not fully determinative. Exactly right. Not, almost nothing that involves human phenomena is fully determinative. It's is a- it true that uh, victims of, let's say, drunk drivers who are paralyzed and end up in a wheelchair that over a certain period of time, these people tend to end up as happy as they were before their tragedy? And I'll tell you exactly a story that speaks to that. I discussed it in the last chapter. So probably my most incredible guest on my show, which is saying a lot because I've had many great guests, including yourself, is a gentleman named David McCallum, who spent 29 years in prison for a murder that he was eventually exonerated from. OMG. And now... I'm sitting with him, chatting with him, and he's so gracious. He's so lacking in 29 vindic- years. 29 years. Uh. So I looked at him and I said, David, how is it? You're basically the reincarnation of Buddha. How is it that you're so calm and put together? And he answered to your question, well, I have a sister who's been bedridden with cerebral palsy for much of her life, and yet she still finds a way to be happy. So really, my situation wasn't that bad. So someone who's had nearly 30 years stolen of his life can still find a way to be uh, lacking in vindictiveness and vengefulness. It's incredible. That's a powerful guest to have had on. Well, that's why I always tell people, I mean, we're really kindred spirits, you and I, because this has been a major theme in my life, the happiness theme. A lot of unhappy people think when they meet a happy person or a person who was acting happy that that person had it easier than they did right big mistake indeed look at victor frankl with some of his uplifting messages i mean what what can you go through in terms of more hardships than going through the concentration camps or as to go back to our earlier point yeah, you know, going through the Lebanese Civil War. My parents were kidnapped by Fatah on one of their return trips to, to Lebanon and were tortured, and yet they're still around. My father is 93, my mother is 89. Where are they living? They're living in Montreal. Uh, I mean, I can't say that they are, from a minute to minute, effusively happy, but I think existentially they're filled with gratitude, and they've gone through some real horrors, as we all did in my family. So... You know, it really is a mindset. It's the, the type of mindsets that you adopt that uh, either move you up that continuum or down. How old were you when the Lebanese War started? The Lebanese I was Civil 10. War, 10. So I'm curious, did you ever think you might die? Every second of every day. So, so I want people to understand a man who wrote a book on happiness. At 10, he thought he would die every day. Indeed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I I would go out to play outside because the, the need to play is so important. My parents would tell me, don't cross a particular imaginary line because that would put you within the eyesight of the snipers who will blow your brain. That's how you normalize your life. Go out and play. Just don't pass this line. Uh-huh. That was my life. God. American parents are telling their kids not to go on diving boards. <laughs> uh, the book is... The Sad Truth About Happiness, S-A-A-D. 
Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life. God saw the book up at DennisPrager.com. We return. On MyPillow's 20-year anniversary with over 80 million MyPillows sold, Mike Lindell at MyPillow wants to thank each and every one of you by giving you the lowest price in history on their MyPillows. You'll receive a queen-size MyPillow for $19.98 regular price, is $69.98, and just $10 more for a king size. You'll receive deep discounts on all MyPillow products, such as bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, mattresses, my slippers, and so much more. This is the time to try out some of their other amazing products you had your eyes on. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio slash podcast square and use promo code Prager to receive this amazing offer on the queen size MyPillow for $19.98 or call 800 761 6302. This offer comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's time to start getting the quality sleep you deserve. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 today. God Saad, G-A-D, first name, S-A-A-D, last name, professor of marketing at Concordia University, uh, in Montreal. His new book is The Sod Truth About Happiness, Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life. By the way, he is the presenter of this week's Prager University video. Uh, the, what is it? The, the Story of the Lost Ring? What is it exactly? It, it is riveting, and it is a true story. Your kids would love it. Your, you as an adult would love it. And uh, it's we're very proud that you've done a couple of videos with us. At, uh, Thank you for having me. Well, it's an interesting issue of the thank you. <laughs> this will crack you up, but this is how I think. We didn't do you a favor by having you give Prager you video. So while it's, of course, normal and sweet to say thank you, it wasn't like we did you a favor. <laughs> 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 it's a, it, it, look thank you is a beautiful thing obviously right. I, i'm just analyzing the fact i want people to understand when we choose people to do videos <laughs> they're grateful but we do it because it's good for people it, it's good for others whether it's good for the presenter is a bonus Indeed. yeah well but that's what that's the ideal right if it's good for for everybody so you say eight secrets so it's a, it's, it's a, a riveting word, secrets, because people think, wow, I'm going to unlock something. But as you point out in, in all of your work, they knew this 3,000 years ago. Right. So what happened? Do people not read what was written? I think it's because notwithstanding that we know some of the prescriptions to how to lead a good life, we 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 fall prey to all sorts of behavioral traps that move us away from those otherwise obvious prescriptions, right? And so probably the number one topic, as you pointed to, that has been most written about by philosophers is how to live a good life. And that's why my book is really a combination of personal stories, personal anecdotes, ancient wisdoms. Here comes Epictetus, here comes Seneca, here comes Aristotle, and then backed up by contemporary science. Put that all together and hopefully you have a, a riveting read. You do have a riveting read. So here's another uh, interesting question. I wonder if you've reflected on this. I suspect you have, but I don't know. 
So people often will say to me, oh, thank you, you've, you've really you've changed my life, you've touched my life, and this has nothing to do with humility. I say to them, you must understand, you get half the credit. Right. So what I mean by that is they heard an idea and they said, oh, oh, well, I'm going to embrace that in my life. So you write this book, say 100 people are forced to read it, okay, or, or, or bribed. We'll, we'll give you $1,000 if you read this book. Okay. Let's. How many of them will be changed, how many not? There's no answer to that. I know that. But some will and some won't. Sure. What makes that determination? If they actually stay disciplined in implementing those prescriptions. So let's take, for example, my recent weight loss journey. I was much, much heavier. I had been very thin as a young soccer player. Then over the years, I put on a lot of weight. And then I decided one day during COVID that I was going to nip this in the bud. What was the secret to? Well, it's really not much of a secret. It takes just incredible assiduous discipline. Every single day, I would walk or exercise 15 to 20,000 steps a day, and I would eat 15 to 1,700 calories a day, every day. So every minute of every day, there's a bifurcation. I can do the right decision or I can make the wrong decision. Make the right decision enough days in a row, and suddenly you get on the scale and you're 86 pounds lighter. So what determines whether someone will get benefit from this book or not is whether they internalize some of the messages and say, yeah, I can do this. I can implement this. Those who will will be happier. Those who won't will probably be less happy. That's right. That's why my answer is right. They get half the credit exactly. if they're touched by, by, exactly. by, by something. So my theory, so I'd love to get your reaction, is... The mother of happiness is gratitude. Yes. You agree? I do. I do. Uh, well, I know you earlier were sort of quipping about saying thank you. You know, I'm grateful every second of every day for the opportunities that people give me to share my ideas. I'm steeped in gratitude. I'm grateful to the cosmos for having gotten me out of the Middle East. Hopefully, I will be grateful when I get out of Quebec. No disrespect to the beautiful Quebec. I want to be basking in the... Southern California sun. And so I'm always living a life of gratitude. Yeah, I have a good story for you when we come back. I assume it's self-recommending listening to him speak, but if not, I, do, I, I truly do recommend it. The Sod Truth About Happiness by God Sod up at DennisPrager.com. My guest is a, uh, a solid man, a good man, a thinker. The Sad Truth About Happiness, it happens to be this week, his latest PragerU video is up. An, an incredible story that I won't, we won't review, people should just watch it, that teaches a tremendous amount of lessons, and by the way, gives real insight into who you are. We were talking about gratitude, so you'll get, you'll get a big kick out of this from my own life. Very often people say to me, Dennis, you travel so much. Aren't you tired of traveling? And I, I either say, no, not at all, or I, I say, let me ask you a question. I am invited to different places in America, in, in the world, to give a speech. Why would I get tired of that? Exactly. 
I, I thought the exact same thing when I was looking at my schedule, all the media appearances for a second. I thought, oh my God, this is so much stuff. And then I thought, stop whining. People are inviting you. Know how lucky you, you are, yes. People are inviting you yes. to hear you speak, right. and you're whining because you have to travel. So I, I hear you. I, I, I knew you would. <laughs> That's why I wanted to share it with yeah. you. Yeah. We should all be so cursed. Oh my God, I have to go to Denmark <laughs> to give a speech. Poor thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 people lose perspective. So I got a challenge for you. I knew I would ask you the following. So you're not religious, correct? I'm not religious. I'm very much steeped in my Jewish identity without necessarily being uh, very much of a practicing Jew. Right. So, which, by the way, Christians find very difficult to understand. How can you not have some fundamental religious beliefs and yet say you are a Jew? But Jews are a people and a religion, and, and Christians are a religion. So I just want to make that clear. I've talked about this on a number of occasions. But even putting that aside, although it's a factor in your life, I understand. Well, it, it, I'll, I'll be more specific then, since you mentioned that. So would you go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year? Uh, historically, I have. Recently, I've, I've been less good at going. Because that's like, let me get put it in Christian terms, it's like the Christian, well, I'm, you know, I'm not that practicing, but I go on Easter and Christmas. <clears throat> so, so do you... So you're not even now a Rosh Hashanah Jew. Uh, well, uh, so let me let me tell you a story that might uh, make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. So when I was a doctoral student at Cornell, I met a uh, Chabad rabbi who used to invite us for all the J- Jewish students to, to dinner, Shabbat dinner. And uh, when I finished my PhD, he approached me very gingerly, very politely and said, would you do me a favor, God? I said, sure, sure, Rabbi, what is it? He said, would you put on tefillin for me every day? I knew it. I mean, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I was as certain of that as I am that the sun will rise in the <laughs> east tomorrow. Well, guess what, Dennis? By but- the way, let me explain that to people. Tefillin are the, are the leather straps with a little parchment of, of the Torah in, in, in a box for the arm and for the head. It comes from Deuteronomy. It's a specific law. Like Jews have a mezuzah, a little parchment holder on their doorposts. This is like a doorpost for the arm and the and the head. Go ahead. Exactly. And so you usually do it. I mean, you do it in the morning. Uh, it's, right. You know, it's a it's an so elaborate. So wait, he ritual. really he really got you though. I did you... it for the next eleven years. You did? Yeah. And then about two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five. Uh, I was at a, on a club med vacation with my wife, and it happened that Yom Kippur, my birthday, coincided at the same time. You pay a lot of money for the all-inclusive food at Club Med. This is where I got off the tefillin train and, regrettably, the Yom Kippur fasting train. Oh, God. You got to write that Are we still friends? Ha- no. Oh, <laughs> please. Uh, the, uh, you got to write a piece, How Club Med... Made, destroyed made, made, my made me an atheist, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> destroyed my feeling. <laughs> That's a, the, the, I am proud of you that you. Thank you, sir. Eleven years. Yeah. See, I, I this is a case where I look at the glass half full. Right, there you go. Th- th- that that is impressive. Did you ever have contact with that rabbi? I I have very rarely, but on one or two occasions since when he's come through Montreal, uh, we've connected, but. Not nearly as much as I would like to. By the way, folks, one lesson to be learned from this that has nothing to do with religion. If somebody says, would you do me a favor? What you have to say is, first tell me the favor. 
<laughs> do not say yes in advance. I'm not kidding. Right. You really get, you can get in trouble. Yeah. Oh, of course. What, what in did, what did years you have in mind? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Just ask. Well, I'll really tell you after you tell But honestly, yeah. it was very non-dogmatic, uh, non-intrusive the way he did it. Maybe oh, that's the I, skill. Oh, listen. I'm the MC of the Chabad Telethon. Okay, I've been there for 25 go. years. I love these people. Okay. I, I just spoke for them in Copenhagen. I, so I, 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 you don't have to sell that to me. I want to pursue the religious factor. Sure. Would you say in your studies, religious people tend to be happier? Right. So the research shows that there is a moderate positive correlation between religiosity and happiness. Now that, by the way, could be explained by very earthly mechanisms, right? Religious people have greater communality, greater cohesion with the in-group, greater likelihood to engage in reciprocal you know, arrangements with the in-group members. So there are very earthly reasons, notwithstanding any you know, supernatural reasons, that might make someone who is religious happier and more content than someone who's, who's less religious. That said, I do argue in the book that even if you're not religious, you can look for awe-inspiring spiritual experiences. Having this conversation is a spiritual experience. Uh, loving my Belgian shepherds is a spiritual so experience. So let me ask you that Belgian shepherds? That's right. How do they differ from German shepherds? Uh, they're much more intense. They're the Ferraris of dogs. More intense than German shepherds? Oh. Oh, then they need psychiatric help. <laughs> the they, IDF. They should, the, they should be on, on lithium. The Israeli Defense Forces uses Belgian shepherds. <laughs> Is that shepherds. right? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to mess with Belgian no, shepherds. No, I, I, I can't believe there's a dog more intense than a German shepherd. So, in light of what you just said, I am curious. Do you wish that you had more faith? I don't care what your answer is. No, I I, I so respect you. It doesn't matter. I do in the sense that by having faith, it allows you to go through some of the difficult vagaries of life more easily, right? Well, I'll tell you. Well, yes and no, but, but probably yes. But I was thinking more of if you really believe in God, the odds are you believe in an afterlife. So, Death isn't the end as it is to a secular person. I think that's a big deal. I want you to comment on that because you're a thinker. This is a terrific book. He's a terrific man. The Sod Truth About Happiness, up at DennisPrager.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Good to be with you. I am watching. I'm not watching. I am looking at a protest in New Hampshire where the Board of Education has or the state has said that the school school teachers there can use PragerU videos. They, they haven't said that yet. No? So what are they protesting? They're having a meeting. They're having a meeting to determine. Oh, okay, I get it. Thank you. So Florida has, is, has said teachers are allowed to use a PragerU videos as supplements to education. We have vast numbers of videos out. They're about as wholesome as you can get, uh, especially the ones for, for children. And that bothers the left. Wholesome is, in their eyes, evil. It, do, it doesn't crap on America uh, it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make kids frightened about global warming. 
it builds gratitude and hope. And the left loathes both. You should teach kids that their future is likely mass death. I spoke about this yesterday. How uh, how this is what they are taught. This is what your kids are taught. You know my riddle? I have a riddle. I've made up a few riddles. Here's one of them. What do you call a religious person who says the the uh, uh, world is coming to an end? A fanatic. What do you call a secular person who says the world is coming to an end? An environmentalist. That's it. That's the only difference. Environmentalism is a secular religion. It's a sick one, truly sick. Produces anti-scientific thought, just as the the worship of the CDC, NIH, and so-called what was what is the word that they use? Not the scientific uh, consensus. Yes, you get that. So they don't. The left doesn't believe in science. They believe in scientists that they agree with. That's it. Let's be honest. When scientists differ with the left, they're engaged in misinformation. What is the latest one you just told me about ivermectin? Yeah. Can I can I see that? Where, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, on, uh, you put it. It's on IM. You did? Let's see. Yeah, wow. This is about as amazing a piece of news. Doctors can prescribe ivermectin for COVID-19, FDA. (laughs) Oh, my God. There were doctors who were threatened with loss of license to practice medicine if they prescribed. There were drug drug stores that would not give you ivermectin. By the way, I took ivermectin for about half a year uh, during uh, COVID. Just want you to know. Uh, it's one of the safest, according to the World Health Organization, one of the safest medicines on earth. I can't believe this. The FDA has actually said this. Doctors are free to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID-19. A lawyer representing the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said this week. Wait, so this is, this is if this is accurate, it's from the Epic Times, which which is accurate. So... Uh, it's a it's called a conservative source. I want just to be completely engaged in full disclosure. But the, the question is not whether it's conservative or not. It's whether it's truthful or not, accurate or not. FDA explicitly recognizes that doctors do have the authority to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID. Ashley Chung Honold a Department of Justice lawyer representing the FDA. This is rep- she, she uh, excuse me, yeah, she represents the FDA. Said during August 8th oral arguments in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 5th District, 5th Circuit. The New York Times said it was a horse dewormer the whole time. Prager U has been attacked, I have been attacked relentlessly for saying that ivermectin was safe and perhaps even effective in reducing the severity of your COVID. It's all coming out now. 
everything that people like me said during the COVID crisis. There shouldn't be lockdowns. Children should be in school. Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine with zinc are safe and probably often effective. I was right on every aspect of it. Remember what I said about restaurants? I can't sit in a restaurant, but I can take my mask off on an airplane and eat. I'm a few inches from the person next to me. That's okay. And in a sealed container. But I can't eat in a restaurant. You're going to close down restaurants. A dear friend of mine had a, a gourmet pizza place here in L.A. He went out of business. He now lives on the East Coast. They shut him down. For no reason. For no good reason. Well, there was reason. Because the hysteria is the oxygen of the left and because they have an erotic attraction to control over human beings. The government is defending the FDA's repeated exhortations to people to not take ivermectin for COVID-19, including a post that said, stop it. The case was brought by three doctors who alleged the FDA unlawfully interfered with their practice of medicine with the statements. A federal judge dismissed the case in 2022. It's now on appeal. The fundamental issue in this case is straightforward. This is Jared Kelson representing the doctors, said to the appeals court. The fundamental issue in this case is straightforward. After the FDA approves the human drug for sale, does it then have the authority to interfere with how that drug is used within the doctor-patient relationship? The answer is no. The FDA, listen to this, this is really sick. The FDA on August 21st, 2021, that was the height of the hysteria, wrote on Twitter, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. The post linked to an FDA page that said people should not use ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19. That's really something. They have a video with Robert Kennedy Jr., Ivermectin, the real story. Well, anyway, that's the latest news. I'm not surprised. And yet people will continue to listen to the FDA, the CDC, the NIH. What was the nickname that they gave uh, to, uh, what's what's the great Rochester, Minnesota, Medical uh, hospital. Yeah. Mayo. Mayo, yeah. Well, and they gave it a nickname. I gotta, I gotta remember that. Yeah. I so many I report, so many stories. I knew the Mayo Clinic had started to lose credibility when I checked its page on "Are cigars safer than cigarettes?" 
and they said they're as dangerous as cigarettes. That's a lie. I think the Mayo Clinic, uh, it's an interesting question. Can they sue me for saying they lied? But they wouldn't because they know they lied. The question is, can I sue them for lying? I don't know. I don't know. I'm certainly not intending to because it takes a lot of time and money to engage in a lawsuit. But it's a lie. So if you lie for social reasons or non-medical reasons and you're a medical association or institution, when will you not lie? Yeah, I should write a piece titled, First They Came for Cigars. We return in a moment. I'm Dennis Prager. So, that is that ivermectin news, Mr. Estrin, yeah. is, 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 the question is, Will it be will it be reported in the uh, mainstream media? Ah, uh, very good question. That's exactly right. Here's a piece. Oh my God, this is amazing! How stupid. <laughs> Here's a piece from the Wall Street Journal that I I wanted to bring to your attention. Divorce parties are a new hot invite. It sort of ended up as a really fun funeral, with society widely accepting of broken marriages. Many newly uncoupled people feel emboldened to throw themselves bashes. After Brandy Stellars finalized her divorce, she invited close friends to a soiree in May. She mixed signature cocktails, hung a Bye Felicia, B-Y-E, banner, and handed out fake rose petals to toss in the in the air. What what does that mean, Bye Felicia? Oh, boy, he's trying to get rid of Sundays from a movie called Friday. All right. Party decorations included a photo of a pair of penguins torn down the middle. I ripped the penguins in half because penguins are monogamous birds who are supposed to mate for life, she says. Well, I'm not your penguin anymore. The newly uncoupled are throwing themselves blowout bashes to mark their liberation from unhappy marriages, almost like reverse bachelorette parties. This woman, Brandy, was it Brandy? Was that her name? Yeah, Brandy Stellars, who works at a cloud computing company in Columbus, Ohio, said, I wanted to celebrate not a divorce, but a new chapter with people whom I love who want the best for me. Huh. It's really something. Nicole Sedoma, a divorce lawyer, who wrote the book, Please Don't Say You're Sorry, about the topic. That's quite a title, isn't it? Divorce used to be something to be ashamed of due to societal pressures and stereotypes. But today people have really decided to nip that societal shame 
and instead embrace being divorced as another stage of life that some of us experience. On Etsy and Amazon, brands sell Splitsville swag, including end of an error sashes, thank you next rose gold foil balloons, and I do, I did, I'm done t-shirts. On Pinterest, the online platform for sharing creative ideas, search trends show that people are gaining a new perspective of divorce. Pinterest searches for divorce party games surged 80%, and searches for divorce cakes rose 50%. Huh. Okay, so I've been divorced. It had to happen, in my belief. But the thought of throwing a party, divorce may be necessary, but it's a tragedy. You know what I think this is about? This is about the inability of so many people to face reality. Hello, divorce is a tragedy. It may well be necessary, and I believe that it is sometimes necessary. Not, not only, and not only in cases where somebody's beating somebody else up. It just may be necessary. I don't believe that God wants divorce to be a punishment, which is what a bad marriage is. I know many of you differ with that. That's fine. That's fine. It's, it's interesting to me that Sometimes people can't just say, okay, we differ on that, but we agree on almost everything. What, what, what do I say about that? Yes. Life imprisonment should only be for murderers. Having said that, the thought of having a divorce party, of celebrating it, it's a tragedy. You're denying it's tragic. You didn't marry with the intention of, of not staying together for life. You married with the intention, whether it was in your marital vow or not. In my religion, it's not in the marital vow. But that's the intention. Nobody marries thinking, well, you know, this is a 15-year hitch. I'm signing up for 15 years. You marry, you think you're signing up for life, and, you, and, and that's how you should think. What I believe these divorce parties are about is the inability to face tragedy. Oh, it's not tragic, it's great. Okay, no, it's tra- it may be necessary, but it is a tragedy. Let's have a divorce party. I'll tell you what I really, really hope, that it never happens if you have children. Imagine that. Hey, kids, come to mommy's divorce party. We're going to all celebrate that I'm no longer married to your dad. I do wonder if, if they have divorce parties with children. Have any of you ever attended a divorce party or thrown one? I'm very curious. 
Do you have to bring a gift? The Triple G asks. You think too much about money. It's it's something you have to work on. He would go, but he if you have to bring a gift, he's not going. One eight Prager seven seven six. Back in a moment. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. Do I have C.J. Pearson, the C.J. Pearson online? Hey, Dennis, how's it going? Uh, actually, excellent, CJ. CJ Pearson is, of course, a PragerU personality. He's host of the PragerU Weekly News Wrap. CJ is one of our great young talents that we have. And, hey, CJ, I am curious, because whenever I see you, you're in a somewhat cheerful mood. Would you <laughs> say you're a happy guy? I'm, I'm a pretty happy guy, Dennis. I like to think so. <laughs> were, were you always? You know, some days are easier than the others, but, you know, as you often say, I think that we have an, an obligation to be happy, if not for ourselves, but for the, those around us. And, you know, I try to um, govern myself uh, accordingly day to day. You made my day. I'm not kidding. That That idea has affected you really means a lot to me. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. How do you enjoy working at PragerU? Well, it's incredible. I think, you know, having the opportunity to be a part of such an incredible organization like PragerU and work every single day, not just to preach to the choir, but to do everything that we can to grow the congregation and to change the hearts and minds of America's young people who have been unfortunately led astray by so many of our cultural institutions is probably one of the most profound and impactful things I've ever been a part of. And I think to come to the office every single day to fight back against, you know, the radical left uh, and the belly of the beast here in Los Angeles, it's an opportunity that um, has been incredibly fruitful. And, you know, I'm, I'm I couldn't be more excited about the work that we're doing and continuing to do every day. Are you following the protests in Florida and around the country, around the world? The Guardian just printed a an anti-PragerU piece because Florida is allowing, just allowing. They're not mandating. They're not instructing. They're just saying a teacher can show a PragerU video. Are you following the controversy? Yeah, I'm following them closely. And, you know, and uh, what's interesting about this entire, uh, you know, outrage mob that's come out of this, you know, new PragerU and schools initiative is that for some, somehow, some way, the left has now discovered the word indoctrination. You would have never thought that what they had. What a great point. With the, <laughs> right, with, with the concept of anything. Yeah. Well, how do you spell that? Yeah, yeah. Right. We don't, we don't do that. 
Exactly that. You know, and now if, you know you look at New Hampshire and the protests that are happening there today. As New Hampshire decides, uh, you know, is interested in partnering with us on financial literacy, you have signs outside where they're saying education, not indoctrination, and it's like. Wow, you guys all of a sudden are so infatuated with this issue of indoctrination, but still they're missing the mark because financial literacy is not indoctrination. And the fact that they think that, you know, giving young people skills to be financially, you know, well off and financially free is something that's bad or negative tells you a lot about their motivations in terms of keeping young people in shackles and preventing them from being free and independent people. We should send you to New Hampshire. We should. No, I'm, 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 I'm not kidding. I, I think it would be uh, fascinating to, for, for, the, for them to hear a young person who's with PragerU. The, the, one of the charges is we minimize slavery and racism. Where did they get it minimize is. either? Where, where did they get that from? Uh, did they, uh, here's, what do you think, CJ? Do you think they cool. believe that we don't think slavery was that bad? You know, I don't think they think at all. It's probably the core of, of the issue here is, you know, and I think also, too, it was rather interesting when I saw them describe us as a white supremacist organization when, I don't know about you, Dennis, but I, I'm pretty sure white supremacists probably view me and you pretty similarly. And and for those of <laughs> you, you, the folks who are listening who can't tell, you know, I'm I'm a you know young black conservative. Those people are not the biggest fans of me either, and so it was news to me. <laughs> right? That I was yeah, yeah. It's a good point. I, I, I'm a Jew, <laughs> and you're a black, and it's a white supremacist yeah. organization. <laughs> it's crazy. It's oh crazy. my God! What a good point. We'll be back in a moment. I just want you folks to know that August is fundraising month for PragerU, and whatever you give will be doubled. It's a matching grant. PragerU.com. Just this week. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Welcome to the show. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. That's the way I look at much of life. The new president of the American Library Association. Where is the story from? Let's see. August 7th, two days ago. Daily Mail. (laughs) Remember, folks, everything the left touches, it destroys. It is amazing that anybody would call themselves a Marxist. Do you understand that anywhere that Marxism has been tried, massive suffering and murder and torture have followed. Why isn't calling yourself a Marxist shameful, morally shameful? Because the left runs the media. Emily Drabinsky, president of the American Library Association, doubles down on tweet, admitting she's a Marxist lesbian. Yeah, there you go, a Marxist lesbian. By the way, you can be a conservative lesbian, it is possible, but she's a Marxist lesbian. That's how she identifies. 
leaving states such as Montana to cut ties with the group. For years, I've been telling you about the American Library Association, one of the most radical organizations. Therefore, anti-everything that has been good about the West and America. The Marxist lesbian president of the American Library Association is taking flack for her politics. One month on to the job. Emily Drabinsky, 48, said she will not hide her personal politics during her tenure and hopes to make marginalized communities feel represented in local libraries. Marginalized communities. I love that. That's one of their... Marginalized. Is there anybody other than a leftist who uses the term marginalized? Maybe. On on many occasions, I have said that Sean was marginalized. In fact, when I interviewed him for his job 206 years ago, I said to him, how would you describe yourself, Mr. McConnell? At that time, I called him Mr. McConnell. And he said, Mr. Prager, I would say that I've been marginalized. Oh, you said you were marginalized because you like butter? All these years I had that wrong? It is sad. We just had Gadsad on. I'm really going crazy here. Marginalized, sad. Whew, brain is is an over overwork, overdrive. Well, I remember it as marginalized, and then I even, I think you're you're trying to rewrite history here with the margin, with the margarine, because uh, you I even said, and how are you marginalized, Mr. McConnell? And you said that as the possessor of a red beard. You felt marginalized. I, I I remember it like yesterday, and so uh, we we had to hire a marginalized citizen, and you were it. This this comment by the head of the American Library Association <laughs> I, 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 that she wants to make marginalized communities feel represented in local libraries. How many Americans do you think? Even once a year, say, you know, my community is marginalized at local libraries. How many Americans do you believe say that? (laughs) Oh, God. It doesn't seem to be high on the list of even chronic complainers. Oh, my God. In April 22, she said, I just cannot believe that a Marxist lesbian who believes that collective power is possible to build, possible to build, and can be wielded for a better world is the president-elect of ALA. American Library Association. Wow. I can believe it. It's funny. She couldn't believe it. I can. That's exactly who the ALA would want. You know how many of the uh, drag queen story hours are taking place at libraries? 
By the way, this is another example of the utterly disproportionate ill effect that women are having in many cases. Just as men disproportionately rape and murder, women are disproportionately bringing toxic ideas into mainstream American life. Unless you believe women can do no harm, then you have to be honest. Your local librarian is unlikely to be a male. Yeah, she just cannot believe that a Marxist lesbian who believes that collective power is possible to build. What does that mean even? Collective power is possible to build. Do you understand that? I don't. What does it mean? That is what she will be doing. So she admits her raison d'etre, her reason for being, is to promote collective power. What does that mean? I am so excited for what we will do together. Solidarity! And then an exclamation point. And my mom is so proud. I love you, mom. I wonder if a father has played a role in her life. Republican lawmakers have zeroed in on the tweet as cause in part for their respective states to defund and abandon the ALA. See, this is what I mean. Why is it funded to begin with? Uh, Because it's public institutions, libraries, okay which is the oldest and largest nonprofit trade organization for libraries. Can you imagine librarians of 100 years ago? Why would that be? 1923. Librarians in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s. Do you realize how stunned they would be if they came to the future? I'll tell you this, I often think about this, eh, often maybe overstated, I periodically think about everybody does if I could have a time machine where would I go well I would definitely go to the past I do not want to see the future especially with AI and especially with leftist takeovers of western civilization it's a scary that scares me not global warming In July, Montana officially became the first state to sever ties completely with the ALA, an organization led by a Marxist, according to the state's library commission. Republican lawmakers in Washington have also begun petitioning to halt federal funding of the ALA. They received funding through the Institute of Museum and Library Services, which was awarded at least 20, no, $211 million for fiscal year 2023, so as to provide funds for the woke. Conservative politicians in Arizona, Idaho, Illinois, Georgia, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Wyoming have encouraged their state's libraries to withdraw from the nonprofit. Ah, you know why that sentence is important. What do you think I'm about to say? Why do you think I think that's a, that's an important sentence? Here's the answer. 
because it shows that Republicans have finally, after 50 years, begun to fight. This is driving the left crazy. They expected the opposition to be the usual docile. You know how often I have said America is fighting a civil war, except only one side is fighting. I have said that for a quarter of a century. It's not true any longer. Hallelujah. So the head of the American Library Association has tweeted, or exed, <laughs> is that the new term? She has exed. I have to say, I, I have great admiration for our new owner, <laughs> but uh, his decision to rename to Twitter X is not one of Elon Musk's most uh, wise choices. L- l- listen to the listen to what she said last year. This is Emily Drabinsky. So many of us find ourselves at the ends of our worlds. The consequences of decades of unchecked climate change, class war, white supremacy, and imperialism have led us here. That's it. This is a true Marxist. And let me tell you something. Basically, the whole climate change thing about controlling your life, well, as David Horowitz, who knows the left like he knows his own family, because his own family were communists, said to me about 30 years ago, environmentalism is a watermelon. Green on the outside and red on the inside. That's correct. So that's what she's fighting, the head of the American Library Association. Decades of unchecked climate change, class war, class war. That's fascinating. She's a Marxist and she's against class war. (laughs) White supremacy and imperialism. One of the things that PragerU gets attacked for repeatedly, like in the Guardian article today, is that we have a video which says that imperialism brought some good things to India, British imperialism. So remember, I literally mean truth is not a left-wing value. They don't ask, is it true? Did the English bring good things with their imperialism? They just show it as an evil that PragerU would say something good about British imperialism in India. The fact that they united all Indians with English, the fact that they introduced courts, the court system that India has, the fact that they abolished sati, the burning of widows when their husbands were cremated, none of that matters because they don't think morally on the left. It's very, they don't divide between right and wrong. They divide between black and white. The British were white. 
between strong and weak. The British were strong, but not between right and wrong. To say that they don't have a nuanced view of history is like saying that, hmm, hmm, what, what is an analogy to a truism? The earth is not flat. Of course, they don't have a nuanced view. If they did, they wouldn't be leftists. Anyway, I just wanted you to know who the new head of the American Library Association is so you have an idea of what we are working against. You know J.K. Rowling, yes, right? Everybody know J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter? Yes, well, let me tell you something. They're not fear. They're not finished with smearing her because she has come out with the audacious idea that there are men and women. Another institution brimming. This is from uh, the from Spiked. Another institution is trying to airbrush J.K. Rowling's name out of history. Was she the best-selling and richest author of our time? This time, it's the turn of the Museum of Pop Culture, MPOP, in Seattle, Washington, which has removed the world-famous author's name from its Harry Potter exhi- exhibition. Isn't that something? Or you should be scared of the left. You really, really, you should not be much more scared of the left than of global warming. The likelihood that global warming will ruin your life compared to the left will ruin your life is zero to a hundred. Isn't that amazing? The, the censorship that they're proud of, they have a Harry Potter exhibit at the MPOP at the museum of popular culture in, in Seattle, and they don't have the author's name. Last week, the museum announced that while while it will continue to display memorabilia from the Harry Potter books and films, it wants no association with their supposedly problematic creator. Explaining the decision in a 1,400-word blog, God, I have to read that, the museum's exhibitions project manager, Chris Moore, brands Rowling, quote, a cold, heartless, joy-sucking entity. I like that one. Sean, who do you think I thought of immediately when I read cold, heartless, joy-sucking entity? Who do you think I thought of? (laughs) I'm not sure I could tell you his response. Uh, but he, he identified someone in our life. But it is not accurate. That's co- She's cold, heartless, and joy-sucking. God, that is exactly how I view the left. It's, it's eerie. Isn't it eerie? They are cold, heartless, and joy-sucking. <laughs> J.K. Rowley. Has given more joy to more people than Chris Moore will if he lives 100 more times in reincarnated form. 
Oh my God. Well, we continue on the Dennis Prager Show. Many of you around America and around the world, and for that matter, around the universe, know that theme is Larry Elder's theme. So uh, I think that it is a moral imperative, Matt, that's a strong term, my friends, to get Larry Elder on the debate stage for the Republican nomination for president. Larry Elder is one of the most eloquent voices in the country for conservative values generally. And he has no peer when it comes to any issue regarding race. He's a, he's extraordinary man. I've known him now. I don't want to tell you how long. <laughs> how long do I know you, Larry? I think it's about 35 years, Dennis. 35 years. Isn't that eerie? Yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. I, I, it's, it's amazing. Larry Elder is... Uh, is a remarkable human being, folks. I don't, I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't continue with the accolades. I will just tell you the country needs to have his voice. I don't care who you want to be the Republican nominee. This is very important, what I'm about to say. We need his voice on the stage. I don't care who you want. Everybody can agree. If you're, if you're for Trump, if you're for DeSantis, if you're for Vivek Rawaswamy, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, and, of course, many of you are for Larry. But it doesn't matter. We need his voice. And to get it, I didn't know this, Larry told me, all he needs, what is it, 40,000, Larry? 40,000 individual donors. Between now and August 21st, two days before the uh, debate, and you can give as little as $1 by going to LarryElder.com. I mean, folks, that's about as easy a way to do good, really good for this country as I could think of. A dollar. It doesn't matter. You could give a dollar. I hope we give more. But a, a dollar is fine. He simply needs 40,000 separate donors. And it doesn't matter how many states. Is that correct, Larry? That's right. I've got to have uh, 200 from 20 different states. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. meet that. that. That would be yeah. meant. Folks, I consider it an insult. A personal insult. <laughs> if if I don't raise uh, that number just with this appeal, <laughs> it, it it boggles my mind. That Dennis, you'll, you'll you'll resign from your position if you don't. Yes, that don't is correct, folks. That's right. Yes, my, one dollar, yes. one lousy you dollar. Give one lousy. Sure I'm up there. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and uh, given the inflation, it's not really even a dollar now. It's like ninety-five cents. Oh uh, yeah, I wish it were ninety-five cents. Yeah. <laughs> it depends when you start. Oh, Larry, it, it is such a given that you have to be on that stage. I think it would blow minds, and I would have such personal joy, as you, as you, of course, you know. But, right. folks, it's really imperative. So where do they go to give this? They can go to my website, LarryElder.com. And it's real easy. It's got a $1 button there. All you have to do is push it, and, uh, and then uh, we take care of it. And, Dennis... You know, uh, as you pointed out, it doesn't matter who you want. Uh, Trump, obviously, is the front runner. Uh, and, um, you know, the odds are if you were a bet, betting person, he would get the nomination. But I'm talking about some things that I want the front runner, if I'm not the nominee, to talk about. And that is 
as you know, the epidemic of fatherlessness, uh, the lie that America remains systemically racist. It's not just pushing nonsense like reparations and race-based preferences and DEI. It's getting people killed because cops are pulling back for fear of being accused of engaging in systemic racism. And there are thousands of people who are dead or have been victimized by violent crime who otherwise wouldn't have suffered if the police had been doing their normal proactive policing. And most of these are the very black and brown people that people on the left purport to care about. And then we have this absolute meltdown of K-12 through education uh, in many of our major cities. Just to pick one city, Baltimore, Dennis, 13 public high schools in Baltimore. I kid you not, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. Meanwhile, the elites oppose school choice, while Dennis... Uh, you have Barack Obama and uh, Gavin Newsom and Joe Biden having their own kids in private school. It's, it's an outrage. If I can put those issues front and center, uh, and if I'm not the nominee, to make sure that the nominee does talk about these kinds of things, I've done That's my right. job. I, I, would, I would feel I've served a, a great purpose to my party and, more importantly, to my country. That's right. So let's make this clear. LarryElder.com or Larry Elder for president? What is it exactly? It's just LarryElder.com. It's much easier. It's that really easy. LarryElder.com. Yep. Okay, my friends, you can make a real difference, and all it takes is a dollar. Larry will continue to push this till, till August 23rd. Dennis, thank you so much. And I love the run-up. Uh, you, you, you talked about dog food before I came on. I'm at the Iowa State Fair, Dennis, and everything is, is fried on a stick. Pork chop on a stick, bacon on a stick, <laughs> butter right. on a stick. There, there is no dog food on the stick, as far as I know. <laughs> thank God. But you're giving me an entrepreneurial <laughs> <Right>. idea. <laughs> Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com